Chapter Eight of Doomsday Eve by Robert Moore Williams. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Doomsday Eve, Chapter Eight. Is the center in here? Zen asked. Of course, Nedra answered. But why haven't Cal and his buddies found it? They don't even know we exist, Nedra explained. And if they did, for some reason, they wouldn't like to come into the tunnels. In effect, the tunnel is wired, West said. Do you mean they would get a jolt of high-voltage electricity if they ventured in here? Nothing as crude as that, the craggy man replied. However, at two places, high-frequency generators are built into the walls and hidden in such a manner that a person entering the tunnel is saturated with their radiations, which trigger the adrenals in his body. The result of this is that he suddenly feels very much afraid. Eh? Zen said, startled. A fear generator? In effect, it is that. But that would be a very powerful weapon. Yes, it would, the craggy man said, his voice dry. If you could generate such radiations in sufficient intensity and cover a large enough area with them, you could panic a division. Perhaps even an army!" Excitement was in Zan's voice. He knew that the scientists were desperately searching for a new weapon that might possibly end the war. Perhaps here was such a weapon. "'It might work that way,' West admitted. "'Does the government know about this?' "'I believe not. Who invented it?' "'I believe Jell Jonner is generally credited with being the inventor,' West said. Oh, Zen answered and was silent. Jonner's name had become a legend of the days when there were giants in the earth, mighty men whose thinking had gone beyond the concept of nations to envision one race, beyond the creeds of churches to see one faith, and beyond the dogma of economics to state that as long as one hungry man existed on the face of the earth, no man with a full dinner in front of him was free to eat his meal in peace and safety. Jonner's thinking had also gone beyond one planet to see one solar system, and beyond that, one universe. "'Here is the first generator,' West said. He flicked the beam of his flashlight against the walls. "'Of course, there isn't anything to see. But you may feel something.' As the intelligence agent moved forward, a sudden surge of fear came boiling up from his middle. It was a wild emotion, and it carried with it a blasting sense of great peril, of death. Instantly thoughts flashed through his mind of the first time he had ever been under shell-fire, the scream of artillery shells, the blasts of the explosions, the shaking of the earth. As the surge of fear shot upward from his middle, he felt his body jerk and start to tremble. "'Run!' a voice screamed inside him. "'Get away from here! Run for your life!' He caught the impulse to flee, held it in check. It was like trying to hold back a tidal wave. "'This is an interesting effect,' he said. "'Does the generator have the same effect on all people?' West grunted and walked ahead without answering the question. Zen thought that the grunt had an approving tone. Nedra squeezed his arm but said nothing. The craggy man did not point out the second generator, but Zen felt the radiations hit him, stronger than before. 
He was mentally prepared this time, but his body wasn't. He felt his muscles tie themselves into knots. The impulse to run was a screaming ululation of mad wolf intensity pouring into his consciousness. Zen kept on walking. As abruptly as he had entered it, he was out of the radiation zone. Up ahead of him, West did not grunt or change his pace. Except for Nedra's fingers digging into his arm, Zen had no indication that either felt the radiation. What kind of people were they, to be able to walk through hell and be uninfluenced by it? Zen wondered as he wiped sweat off his forehead. Ahead, West grunted and played his light on the side wall. The craggy man grunted again. On the right, the side wall began to swing back as a door opened there. From the tunnel, the wall looked like solid stone, but as the door opened, the back was seen to be made of metal. A lighted tunnel leading to a large gallery lay beyond. Enter, West said. Who did all of this? Zen inquired. Jal Jonner took over the title to this old mine. He and his men sealed off the deeper tunnels, enlarged them, provided an air supply, built laboratories and living quarters, and made a comfortable hidden world here. Zen felt he should have known better than to ask. According to these people, Jal Jonner had done everything except lay the foundations of the world. I see, the colonel said. He did all this before he died. None of the reports he had read had mentioned this activity, or had even hinted at it, but he did not see fit to mention this. No, West denied. But you just said he did it after he died, the craggy man explained. Huh? Zen said. Pardon me, but I did not seem to hear you clearly. I thought you said he did this after he died. That's what I said. That's what he did. The craggy man's voice was calm. I, uh... Zen hastily changed his mind about the words he was about to use. Secretly, he was wondering if West was hopelessly insane. How could a dead man build anything? You understand that I am not too familiar with what actually happened. Sorry and all that, but I simply haven't had to learn. I understand, West said. You don't need to apologize. You will learn here. Good, Zen said. He doubted if he felt better because his explanation had been accepted. West's last words had an ominous ring to them. Your lack of familiarity with Jonner's history is very obvious, West continued. But if he was dead, he didn't die, West patiently explained. He was buried. A handsome monument was erected over his grave. But he wasn't in the grave. Son of a gun, Zan said. Why all the falderall? To deceive curious intelligence agents, West said, with no humor in his voice. Zen ignored the ironic threat. He was inside. This was what mattered. Also, the idea of one of the world's foremost scientists, and Jonner had been exactly that, hiding himself away here where he could work undisturbed with others who shared his dream, intrigued him. Or had that dream been a grim prognostication of the way things were to be on the surface of the third planet out from the sun? Had the work here been an effort to escape that future? 
Was this underground cavern really a modern ark, dug into the heart of a mountain so that at least a few humans might escape the deluge by fire? Had a modern Noah appeared and not been recognized? The thought shocked Kurt Zen. Somewhere he had read a prediction that Earth would be destroyed by fire. Here was evidence that possibly at least one human being had taken that prediction seriously enough to build a bomb and radiation-proof shelter. "'You seem to be thinking seriously,' West observed. "'Perhaps for the first time in my life I am doing exactly that. My brain seems to be trying to spin.' "'Ah? Are you surprised at what you find here?' "'No. That is, not much. Mostly I'm pleased.' Good, West seemed satisfied. Here comes John to greet us. The craggy man's face lit up as a tall youth emerged from an adjoining tunnel and came forward to meet them. His greeting to West had respect in it. He merely glanced at Zen, but it was the nurse who commanded and held his interest. Nedra, you're back. Of course I'm back, John. As if this were the most natural thing to do, Nedra allowed herself to be taken in John's arms. West smiled benevolently at the two. Zen carefully looked in the other direction. "'This is Colonel Kurt Zen, John,' West said when the two had finished kissing. The tall youth extended his hand and said he was glad to meet Kurt. His face was brown, his cheeks were lean and slightly hollow, but his eyes were clear and his grip was firm without being bone-crushing. I imagine Kurt is rather tired," West said. If you would find quarters for him, John. Glad to do it, the tall youth said. Come with me, Kurt. Zen nodded good night to Nedra and to West and followed John away. He was tired down to the bottom of his thick-soled boots. Fatigue lay in layers through his muscles and along his nerve trunks. He knew he was keeping himself from collapsing only by an effort of will. I'll give you my room. John said. "'I couldn't think of depriving you of your quarters, old fellow,' Zen protested. "'It's no deprivation. Besides, I'll be with Nedra.' "'Um,' Zen said. The jealousy he felt almost made him forget how tired he was. The room was as bare as the cell of a monk. The bed was a double-decker with the top deck covered with books. It was handmade, of rough pine posts, and the springs were cords. There was no mattress. And no pillow. A reading lamp was at the head. "'Hope you're comfortable here,' the tall youth said. "'Is there anything I can get for you?' "'Nothing. But you might show me the little boy's room.' "'Are you still on that level?' The tall youth seemed genuinely surprised. "'Yes,' Zen said. Then, as the implications back of the question caught him, "'Aren't you on the same level? I mean, don't you go?' "'Well, yes,' John answered. Embarrassment reddened his face. "'But you're older than I am, and I thought perhaps you—' His voice trailed off into silence as his embarrassment grew. "'You thought what?' Zen continued. "'Well, that—' The youth became flustered then seemed to become irritated with himself for being flustered, then for being irritated. Zen watched the emotional reaction build higher and higher. He could see no possible importance in the emotional response of the tall kid except 
that the kid had intimated that he might be spending the night with Nedra. Would people who didn't use toilets spend nights together? If they did, what would they do? Talk about the beauties of flowers and read poetry to each other? Zen sniffed silently to himself to show his contempt for such antics. "'I'll show you where to go,' John said suddenly. Zen followed the tall youth out of the room and into a short tunnel which led to a large gallery. Here the old-time miners had found a sizable body of ore. The gallery had been cleared of refuse and a number of small rooms had been dug into the walls, the whole place being illumined by a fluorescent paint that covered the walls. The color of the light was a misty blue, and the whole big gallery seemed to float in this light, creating an effect that was breathtakingly beautiful. In the first room they passed a naked young woman who was going through gymnastic exercises in time to slow music. At the sight of her lithe, brown body bending and swaying in time to slow music, Zen whistled appreciatively through his teeth. She was almost enough to make him forget Nedra. In another room a fat youth was reading a book. He was lying flat on the floor. In a third a skinny young man with skin the color of old ivory was sitting cross-legged before a shrine. His features were as immobile as a statue of Buddha. The same faint smile seemed painted on his face. In another room a beautiful young woman was undressing preparatory to retiring. She hadn't bothered to close the door. "'What the hell is this, a glorified whorehouse?' Zen blurted out. "'A whorehouse?' What's that? John asked. His manner made Zen feel like apologizing for having used such words in his presence. Never mind, I withdraw the question. Who keeps tab on where the boys and the girls spend the night? No one, John answered, astonished. Is somebody supposed to? He was startled at the idea. Oh, you are concerned about sex. You are also new here. Sex is no problem here, as you will learn. No problem? Don't you engage in it? We have other and more important things to do, John answered. His words were lofty, but his tone was kind. Zen heard the words, but he filed mental reservations about accepting their meaning. Silently, he wondered if these kids had all their marbles. Apparently, they had not even learned about the birds and the bees. Anything else I can tell you? John asked. You've already told me too much, Zen answered. I'm afraid to ask you any more questions. The toilet had no flush plumbing. After use, press the button, a sign above it said. Zen did just that. No sound of running water followed, but the colonel had the dim impression that intensely bright light had flared for a moment. He did not have the courage to look and see what had happened. In some ways this toilet which disposed of its contents in a flash of light was more significant and possibly more productive of concern than Cuso's blooper or Cuso's lieutenant had been. If the new people found it convenient to disintegrate their sewage rather than dispose of it by the conventional method, what else could they do? Zen shook his head to indicate to himself how amazed he was. John thought he wanted more information and started to ask a question, which the colonel hastily interrupted. Don't tell me any more. There are limits to what my liver and lights will stand. 
What have your liver and lights to do with this? Nothing at all. That was just a figure of speech. As they returned through the gallery, he saw that the bronze girl was still going through her rhythmic dance in time to the slow music. The sight of that perfectly formed nude body slowly swaying in the small room sent such a surge of excitement through Kurt Zen that he hastily turned his eyes away. If he was going to live in this place very long, they would have to make some new rules. How could any human being stay in bed alone when that beautiful bronze creature was going through her swaying dance? "'What is she doing, learning to be a striptease dancer?' he asked. "'Perfect muscular control. This is one of the exercises we all learn,' John answered. "'What's a striptease dancer?' "'Nothing you ever heard of,' Zan answered. But while she is developing her muscular control, what is she doing to the endocrinal system of every male in the place?" "'Not a thing,' John said, astonished again. Zen had grave doubts that the tall youth knew what he was talking about. John selected a single book from the top of the double-decker bed and anxiously inquired if there was anything more he could do to make the colonel comfortable for the night. Upon being told there was not, he departed with the book. Zen thought of the book benignly. If the tall youth was going to spend the night with Nedra, at least there would be a book between them. He slid off his heavy pack and set the lieutenant's submachine gun where he could reach it readily. His counter told him there was no radioactivity present. Books were in a niche in the stone wall behind the bed. The author of one caught his eye. Jal Jonner. The name was enough to hold his attention. Jonner was known to have written books, but few had survived. Even the Library of Congress did not have them, but there was no Library of Congress in any sense of the word any more. When Washington had left the planet, the Library had gone with it. Glancing at the introduction, Zen forgot all about his fatigue and where he was. One glance at the words, and he knew he was in contact with the living waters of life itself. Introduction. In the beginning, I am going to make an inaccurate statement. I am going to say that the reading of this book may open a new life for you. Now let me explain why this statement is inaccurate. In the first place, it is inaccurate because this is not the start of your life. That took place millions of years ago, more millions of years than I care to mention here. So your life did not start with the reading of these words. Now as to the use of the word new. This also is inaccurate. To you, the ideas expressed here may seem novel and new, but they are not new in the sense that they have just been created, or even that I have created them. They were implicit in the formation of the first molecule of protoplasm that came into existence on this planet. They are, therefore, as old as life. The pattern which you may or may not follow was laid down in the first molecule of protoplasm which appeared on this planet as the law of growth. However, there is no law which requires that one species on this planet, or even all combined species, the total life spectrum here, shall survive to grow to full stature. The possibility of growth is implicit in every form of life. It is latent and capable of development in every species. However, the species that fails to take advantage of the opportunity thus offered, if it fails to develop its potential, 
must inevitably give Earth room to the species which is developing. In their day the dinosaurs ruled the planet. They had their chance, but they failed to develop. Where now are the dinosaurs? The law is, grow or die. This law also applies to man. This book may be regarded as a primer, a starting point of your adventure into the coming development of man. It is the first textbook that you will receive. It is the beginning of the way. How much progress you make upon the way, how well you master the law of growth, is in large measure up to you. You will receive assistance, sometimes without your knowledge, but it will not be the kind of assistance that will retard or weaken your development. The new people will not be helped, too much. Strength is required of them, and strength is only achieved by overcoming obstacles. The next upward step that the race takes, if it survives its own self-destructive impulses, will be of such a nature as to require the utmost in strength and courage from those who participate in it. This step, it is fair to state, is in the direction of a higher development of consciousness. Good luck, and God go with you. Jal Johnner, The Big Sur, July 1971 Written in 1971, the book was now forty-nine years old, Zen decided, after a rapid calculation. The war had started in 2009. The time was now 2020. Eagerly, he turned to the first chapter. It seemed to him that his life was just beginning, that everything that had ever happened to him and all that he had ever done was in preparation for this moment, when life would begin. After reading two pages, he reached the conclusion that, if this was a primer, the text that was to follow must be difficult indeed. The book started with mathematics that was twice as difficult as calculus. Trying to concentrate, he found the symbols blurring before his eyes. Then, as fatigue finally overwhelmed him, the whole page blurred and was gone. He was asleep. But he wasn't really asleep. The body slept but he was not the body. He was the consciousness that animated the body. This never slept. He awakened at the touch of a hand on his shoulder. End of chapter 8